You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We're continuing our series that we're going to be uh, through the rest of our December services, which we just have one more uh, Sunday service, and then, of course, going into Christmas Eve uh, in two weeks. Uh, we're looking at the series title is The Promise, The Promise. Uh, last week was so much fun. Uh, I'll just say this. That was one of my, it's, it's my favorite Sunday when we get to baptize people, and we had seven people uh, baptized. That was just so cool, and see so many people respond uh, and give their life to Jesus, uh, 14 beyond that, including kids, and so God's changing lives, God's reaching people, so thank you uh, for being a part of that, for all who serve, all who give, all who are part of it. Uh, today, Isaiah chapter 9 is, is kind of our theme passage through this series, looking at the promise of Jesus. Uh, I told you last week, if you uh, want to know what history is about, it's his story. It's the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who uh, made us by Jesus and for Jesus, that we've been created to be redeemed, set free. We've been created for, for life and fulfillment and purpose, designed by God before before we were even born, God had a plan for you and for me. And Jesus makes it possible for us to be made right with God. Uh, but as we look at our history, we see that oftentimes there's brokenness and darkness. And, uh, and the res- that's the result of uh, what the Bible tells us in the very beginning, that there was a fall, that mankind chose to go its own way and choose sin over God. Uh, and we have a problem throughout the course of human history. And let's just make it personal. We have a problem in our history. Uh, it's a problem of sin. It's a problem of what has separated us from the goodness of God, the life of God, but God was not content to leave us alienated and separated, but he came after us to rescue us. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a need that was met with a much greater gift, and that gift is Jesus, the promise of a savior. Isaiah 9 says this in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. We're in a season of joy, uh, but it's also for many people a season of difficulty or grief or heartache or loss. But, but listen, there is joy in Jesus who brings us comfort, who brings us hope, who brings us freedom, uh, who brings us a, a new life and ultimately a home in heaven that, that J- Jesus brings joy. If you didn't know that, church, happiness is circumstantial. Everybody likes you, everybody gets along with you, things all work out, the traffic lights are all green. You know, it's, that's, that's circumstantial, but we know that that's often fleeting. But Jesus brings joy. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on a relationship. It's based on a promise. And, and, and here's what he says. The light comes in the midst of darkness, and that light brings joy. He says, you multiply the nation. You've increased its joy. They have a, a joy of harvest, for you've broken the yoke of his burden. It means he sets you free. He sets us free. And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. Verse six tells us what brought about all of those things, joy and freedom and light in the midst of darkness. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The first Christmas gift is the greatest Christmas gift, the gift of a savior, the gift of Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus came. God sent Jesus. 
as the great promise, the one who the entirety of the Old Testament prophesied and spoke to and brought in type and shadow and picture and, and, and spoke often directly to. Even in Isaiah, we looked at that last week, how, how the, the, the birth of a Savior, born of the Virgin, would, was prophesied all the way back in Isaiah 7. As, as 500 years before Jesus came, there was a promise of a Savior. And then Jesus was born in that manger. We know the story in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, it tells us, the fulfillment of that promise as Mary and Joseph came to the town of Bethlehem and it says there was no room found for them and so Mary gave birth to the child that was more than just a man, more than just any ordinary child but that child was the son of God. Jesus born in a manger, the glorious one who inhabited eternity, humbled himself to come to earth, to be born in a manger the king of glory laid down a crown to pick up a cross. He came for you and for me. That's the good news. That's what Christmas is about, church. Jesus came. And in that moment, as they came to Bethlehem, I've always been struck by the moment, the gravity of that situation. Last week, I, I quoted Galatians. I think it's in Galatians 4, where it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So, so God sent forth his son, and it was in the fullness, the, at just the right moment in history, Jesus came. And that's so interesting to me that at this moment that the Bible calls the fullness of time, the Savior, the eternal, the divine, stepped into the midst of humanity, light entered darkness, and a town called Bethlehem missed the one who had shown up. Let's not miss the gift. Let's not miss the opportunity. When the king comes, let's respond. When Jesus wants to do something in your life and mine, let's make a way. Let's open the door. Let's invite him to do what only he can do. And I'm struck by that an entire town had their doors shut. There was no room. And yet Jesus came. But just outside the town was a bunch of shepherds. You know the story. They were raising their flocks by night. They were keeping watch over them. They were taking care of them. Some scholars believe they were raising the flocks that were prepared for the nearby city of Jerusalem. They were going to be brought as offerings in the temple to atone for and pay the price for the sins of the people. But that day, an angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. And, and then he tells them about the birth of the Lamb of God, the Savior, who was greater than the offerings they were raising, greater than the lambs they were shepherding. There was the Lamb of God in the city, in the town of Bethlehem. And so they came, they told Mary and Joseph what they had seen and the angels singing and the chorus and, and it's that moment we, we have manger scenes of, it's the moment we sing about at Christmas time but at the heart of that story is the message of the good news of Jesus. The reason he was born was he came to die. He came to go to the cross. He came to take my sin and your sin to take our place to make us right with God and right after that moment what's not as well known is what takes place just a few days after Bethlehem and that's what we're going to look at today just a few days later after the birth of Jesus after the coming of the son of God who became the son of man here's what it says in verse 21 Luke chapter 2 21 when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of Mary's purification were completed, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was three things. He was just, he was devout, 
and he was waiting. He was just, he was devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents uh, brought in the, uh, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up, Jesus up in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What Bethlehem missed, Simeon saw. What Bethlehem missed, Simeon took up. What the shepherds responded to and what the lowly and the humble responded to, what Simeon, an old man now having waited, having been just and devout and and now waiting for the promise of God now for many years, his entire life, he's heard the promises, he's heard the prophecies, he's heard the words spoken about Jesus and now in the position and posture of waiting, he now sees the one that was promised. And he doesn't just sit back. He doesn't just watch this scene unfold. No, he takes him to himself. He picks up this baby Jesus. In the moment of his dedication, Simeon holds the Savior, the one who would one day hold him, the one who would redeem and stretch out his arms on a cross, that same Savior who is coming for Simeon and coming for you and for me. Simeon recognized and he said, Lord, now I can go home. Now I can depart in peace. I've experienced and seen your salvation, the very thing. I've been waiting for. We'll look at three things that describe Simeon. There are gonna be three points for us today that I believe illustrate the joy that a promise of a savior brings, that Jesus brings into our lives. The first one is this, and it comes, we're gonna go in reverse order of how it describes him. He's just devout and waiting. We're gonna start with waiting because nobody likes to end with waiting. <laughs> waiting is something that, you know, oftentimes we, you know, we talked a lot about the promises of God last week. And I want to take that a little bit further today because the promise of God, there's a joy that comes from his promise and purpose. There's a joy that comes from living with the promise of God, having received Jesus. The Bible says this, that all the promises of God that the Bible's filled with, all the promises of God are in Jesus, yes and amen. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you have Jesus, when you take, like Simeon actually took the Savior to himself, he took Jesus to himself. Now, now obviously, that was a special moment, but you and I receive Jesus when we put our faith in the one who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, and we respond to him as 14 people did last Sunday, that we say yes to Jesus, and that moment something happens. The Bible says we pass from death to life. We are set free from the power of sin that has ruled over us and separated us from God. And we enter into a relationship with God. And one of the overflowing results of that new relationship is joy. It's a joy of a promise. And some promises happen in a moment. And some promises happen where where we no sooner pray and God answers. There are some promises, as we discussed last week, there's some promises we wait for. There's some promises that that God grows us and shapes us and transforms us as Mary, who received a word from the angel last week. We described how she received the word, the promise of Jesus coming, and then the Holy Spirit began to bring to pass what the angel had foretold. And so there's always something that happens as we wait for the promise of God. And some of us look at waiting. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't like to wait. Anybody else? Like, am I the only one who needs to work on patience a little bit? The Bible actually says through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. 
in an instant culture where we want it now. We, we want everything easy. We want it quick. We want, we, want, we, want, we want everything to be clear all the time. We want to have it all figured out. But sometimes that's not the way life works. And even more importantly, that's not the way our walk with God always works. Because God has a purpose that's far greater than what I can see today. And God sees a promise that's eternal. And I often am preoccupied with the temporary. I get preoccupied with the problem I see right in front of me and the pain I'm walking through in the moment in front of me instead of thinking there's a promise. Listen, people who are in waiting like Simeon was waiting. Simeon was not marking off dates on a calendar. He wasn't looking with despair. In fact, he was actually doing something hope-filled. He was positioning himself right where he needed to be to see the promise. Do you know that every time you're praying, you're positioning yourself for the promise? Every time you're in God's word, every time you're showing up and you're worshiping together as the church, every time we're serving and every time we're doing what God has created us to do, what are you doing? You're positioning yourself for a promise you don't see yet. And I just know that people who live with promise are more filled with joy than people who live without it. People who live with promise don't quit when others throw in the towel. People who live with promise have a hope-filled expectation that God will do something good. See, the world's view of hope is, well, I wish things would be different. It's like, you know, the old Disney movies, wish upon a star. But, but here's what God does. God brings a promise and his promise is backed up by his name, his character, who he is, his power, his love, his presence. All of those things provide for us a promise that isn't based on feelings or what we see, but it's based on something that's sure and steadfast. And if I build my life on a promise that's greater than what I see and feel today, I can live with hope every day. And waiting is not just passing time, but it's actually positioning yourself to receive what God wants to bring into your life. And so there's a joy in this promise. There's a joy in his purpose. There's a joy in waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled because God is gonna do what he said he would do. I think waiting looks like this. It looks like being expectant. It looks like being expectant that, that any day, any moment, I wonder if Simeon lived like that. I wonder if Simeon, I'm sure he had days where I would have, where I'd be thinking, man, is this ever gonna happen? My fathers didn't see it. My grandfathers didn't see it. I, I, we've passed generations. We haven't seen it. But he had, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit let him know he was gonna see the Lord's Christ before he died. And he held on to that promise. And he positioned himself in the right place because he knew that was the place where children were dedicated. That was the place where every newborn child was to be brought, to be dedicated at the house of God before the presence of God. And so Simeon positioned himself at the only place he was guaranteed to see the most babies. But he knew, he's like, God, where is it? Where's the promise? And he's looking with expectation. I think people who experience the promise are people who live with expectation. They're people who walk in patience. <laughs> and they're also people who live with obedience. Simeon's name actually means obedient hearing. It's to hear, but it's not just to hear and not respond, but it's to hear and obey what he hears. That's what the name Simeon actually means. It's such a beautiful picture that Simeon, his life reflects his name, that he has heard from God, but he's actually changed his schedule, routine, practice to put himself into position. Lots of people want things to be different in their life. That's why, that's why New Year's resolutions are a big deal for most people starting January 1st. But 92% of all New Year's resolutions come to nothing. 
Why? Because there's always good intentions. But there's something different when you hear what God has promised and you respond to what he said. When you're moved not by a feeling or not by even a problem, but moved by his promise and he obeys, he listens. And I think that for a lot of people, they looked at Simeon and they thought, why in the world is this guy here? I mean, he just kept showing up. And why, I wonder, was he there? How many people misjudged Simeon and thought, man, this is ridiculous. Why is this guy still here? He's waiting for something that's never going to happen. We've all heard the story of the Messiah. We've all, heard the, the, we've all read the scriptures. We've all heard those promises, but it's never gonna happen. Everybody's critiquing and probably misjudging, but Simeon is responding to what God has said. That's what obedient hearing looks like. He's led by the Spirit right into the perfect place at just the right time for him to possess the promise. You know, this is just human nature. It's easy for us to phone it in. Well, maybe I won't show up to, to the temple today. Maybe I won't, maybe I won't be, it'll be easier if somebody, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, I don't know, but I'll just phone it in. I'll let somebody else, no, no. Simeon positions himself. And if you want to see what no one else can see, you've got to do what no one else will do. He puts himself right at the place. He just keeps showing up and he listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He gets into the right place at the right time. He's also described as just. He's described as just. There's a joy in salvation. There's a joy in salvation. And, and, and I... I love this because Simeon, Simeon takes the child, he receives, picks up Jesus, and then he declares this. He begins to, in fact, he leaves the parents, he leaves, he leaves Mary, and he goes around to the crowd, and here's what he does. As he goes around, he's telling them what he's seen because there's something about a person who knows what Jesus has done in their life. I, 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 I know right now it's very easy to be a Vikings fan. You've been patient. You've been waiting. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and we got some people in our church, they're passionate about the Vikings. They're passionate. And, and they don't have any problem sharing about it. They don't even care what people think. <laughs> and what would happen if you and I had a, such a passion and a hope for Jesus? Here's what Peter says. We should be ready at any moment to give a reason for the hope that we have. People should notice a joy. They should notice there's something different in us because of what God has done in our life, because of what Jesus has done in our life. He goes and he starts telling everybody about Jesus. There's a joy from salvation. That word just, it describes him as just, devout, and waiting. To be just is, of course, to be fair. When somebody's just, they're fair, they're equitable, they, they treat people kindly, they treat people fairly, they, they, they don't take advantage of people, but it also carries in the Greek language a couple different words, and I, I, this is where I want to focus. It also means to be innocent, to be innocent, to be righteous. One, 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 one source says that it's to be righteous by account or acceptance. See, if you didn't know, salvation was not just him saving you from something, but him saving you for something. It was him not only removing your sin, but adding something to your life. That's what the Bible describes as righteousness. 
The Bible says, apart from God, apart from Jesus, our righteousness are filthy rags. Like none of us measure up, none of us. In fact, I think there's a problem and, and the Bible points to it. It's a problem that our conscience bears witness to, that something on the inside isn't quite right. There's something on the inside. Now we, we can bury it, we can medicate it, we can ignore it, we can try to make up for it, but there's a problem of guilt that only Jesus can deal with. And there's something on the inside that we just, and, and when we're confronted with truth and we're confronted with a need of God, there's something inside that goes, I, I feel like I should run. I feel ashamed. I'm now aware of what I've done. But, but here's what Jesus came to bring. He came to set us free from our guilt, pay the price for our guilt and break the grip of shame over our lives. There's not one thing Jesus didn't pay for. There's not one sin that Jesus didn't pay on the cross for. He didn't die for their sins and not yours. Jesus, by the way, he didn't come for religious people. You know, it, he, he used this analogy. He said, the, it's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. Jesus didn't come for the religious crowd in fact, salvation is important to recognize that, that there's nothing we can do religiously that can pay the price or make a way for us to be right with God. There's no amount of good works I can do. There's no amount of, of, of church attendance. There's no amount of, of giving. There's no amount of loving people. There's no amount of any activity I can do that can deal with the issue at the core of who I am. Only Jesus. And the good news is there's nothing I can do to earn it, but I don't have to because he paid a price for it. Oh, church, if we would recognize that, especially those of, who are believers in Jesus already that have put their faith in Christ, I think we lose our worship when we forget what he's done for us. We forget the price that he's paid for us. We forget the, the goodness of God that's been revealed in Jesus. Let me, let me read this to you. In Romans chapter three, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, the law being the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the, the standards of God's righteousness, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Because there's just, here's what we do. Here's, let's just be honest about human nature. We resolve the issue of guilt by going, well, I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than my coworker. I'm better than my boss. I'm better than that person. And we judge ourselves by ourselves. That's why religion doesn't work, church. Because one church has one list and another church has another list. And we only include the things on the list that we don't like. Okay. Uh, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's word reveals our need of God, but also brings the answer. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, I, I have, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's a really bad idea to web MD it. Like you start feeling something, you start like, man, I got a headache, I got the, and then you look up the, oh man, <laughs> like I've got hours left in my life after what I just Googled. <laughs> like this is not good, you know, you start making arrangements. It's just, <laughs> and it's a pro, the same issue of ourselves that when we try to figure us out on our own, we try to save ourselves, diagnose ourselves, fix ourselves, we can't. 
But there is an answer, verse 22, even the righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but being justified freely. Can you just say that word, freely? freely. In other words, he has provided for you everything you need to be free, and it's found in Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as a payment, as a sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in God's forbearance, seeing beforehand, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he may be, listen to this statement, here's what I want you to catch, that God may be just, he upholds his standard, but he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God never, God didn't have to change his word to forgive us. God didn't have to compromise his, you know, in, in the world, we, we, we think that to love somebody, you've got to adopt all of their values, even if they're not right. But God didn't change who he was. God didn't change the standard because the standard was never based on a feeling. It was never based on my own uh, description of what's right and wrong, but it was based on something that was eternal and the word of God. And so he brings that, but then he also pays the price through the cross so that he can be just, uphold the standard, but Jesus took the price, paid the price so that we could be forgiven. Come on, that's good news, church. Some are like, I know that story. I, I know that. Then why aren't you happy? Because that's a reason to have joy, that you've been forgiven and you've been set free and the price has been paid and you don't have to live one more day bound by guilt, bound by, by, by shame, bound by sin. You don't have to live one more day under the oppression of fear and death and the enemy, but you can live in freedom and live in joy because of Jesus. There's a joy in your salvation. Luke 18, Jesus told a parable that I think contrasts the difference between the sinner who receives the grace of God and the religious who's self-satisfied in their own righteousness. Uh, Luke 18, verse nine, also he spoke this parable to some, listen to this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's amazing to me how many people think, well, just because I've, you know, I, I, I've been in, I've grown up in church, I went to Sunday school or whatever, that, 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 that I'm good, but it's, it's not being better than somebody else. We're not saved. Listen, church is where we grow grow in our faith, have opportunities to serve others, reach our city for Jesus. I'm a church guy, which is funny because as a kid, I did everything I could to get out of going to church. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. So be careful. If you're trying to keep your parents from showing up because you're really late and you're trying to you know, pretend like you're sleeping on Sunday morning, God may make you a pastor like he did me. <laughs> but here's what he says. Watch this. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, despised others. Because the only thing, the result of puffing yourself up and becoming self-righteous is you're going to be critical of other people. That's why people who are the most judgmental are often the most self-righteous. People who know how much they've been forgiven don't stand at a distance, but they, they become rescuers because they've been rescued. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector. Like he's by the guy. 
So I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, wouldn't even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is Jesus' statement based on this parable. I tell you, that man went to his house justified, right with God, rather than the Pharisee. Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself. See, God justifies those who stop justifying themselves. And he put their trust in Jesus. Here's why, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's not, not, it's not self-righteousness, it's saying, God, I, I need you, I need Jesus, I need you to save me, I need you to fill me. And can I just tell you, self-righteousness will never satisfy you because you'll never measure up. You'll never measure up. But God's given us the gift of freedom and salvation in Jesus. Here's the third one, is he's described as devout. Now, we use that term not very often today. It's usually used of somebody who's religiously devout. They're, they're a devout Christian, devout Catholic, devout Muslim. Like they, they're, they're committed to the beliefs and traditions of their religious practice. And, and, and while that can be, of course, a usage of that word, this word in Greek here, used of Simeon, means to lay hold of well. To lay hold of something well. And I think you see it really clear with Simeon. Simeon sees Jesus and he, he takes this child up in his arms. The, the promise, he takes the promise to himself. He, he speaks about the promise. He, he's been waiting for this promise and now his eyes have seen it and he magnifies God. And, and the moment he takes up Jesus, he says something that's striking to me. He says, now I am fulfilled. Now I can depart in peace. The moment he took up Jesus, he said goodbye to the world. You're not quite with me, church. The moment Jesus, the moment Simeon experienced and, and saw and held Jesus, took him to himself, the moment in that moment of laying hold of the promise that he had waited for, he said goodbye to something else. There's a joy, I believe, to really be devout means to describe the joy of the friendship of God. Because Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, and that's true. That's the entry point. That's the starting point. But so many people stop there. So many people stop at the moment they've responded to the good news of Jesus and they said, God, I need you. Save me. Forgive me. And they say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time. And that's, that's huge. That's important. I don't want to ever lose sight of that. There's nothing more important than spending eternity in heaven and not in hell. Like, there's nothing more important than that. <laughs> But, but, but I love this. Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is in John 15, I think. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you and the one that you sent, talking to God, the Father. W why is that important? Because Jesus says, eternal life is not living forever. It's not just that you live forever when you die. It's not just that you go to heaven one day and are reunited with lost loved ones and we're thankful for all of that. But it's, it's that we know Jesus. It's that we develop a, you can actually know God. You can walk with God. I mean, that's to me, mind boggling. See, I, I thought he just came for fire insurance. 
but he actually came so that I could walk with him and talk with him and know him and experience the promises of God in every area of my life, that my family could be different because of Jesus. My marriage could be different because of Jesus. My future could be different because of Jesus, that everything in my life, that I, when I took up Jesus, I took up a healer, a provider, a deliverer, a protector, and the greatest friend I've ever known who sticks closer than a brother. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, Jason, if you and the team want to come. Philippians 3, Paul describes it this way. Verse 12, not that I've already attained and already perfected. That's good news. <laughs> How many feel like you've arrived? You got it all figured out? Okay, good, I'm, I'm in the right place. But here's what he says, I haven't arrived. And that's, that's like, the most successful Christian I think we've ever had, Paul, the apostle. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, built the church, gave his life. But he said, you know, I haven't already attained, I haven't arrived yet, but here's what I do. Watch this. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. What does it mean to lay hold of well? I believe it means that we take hold of every promise and everything, every purpose that Jesus paid a price for us to have. That, that we lay hold of everything that God has for us according to how he's laid hold of us. That's what friendship looks like. That's what walking with God looks like. That's what it means to step into the fullness of God. That we lay hold of and we pursue everything that he has laid hold of us for. Do you know that he, he, could, he could beam you out of here the moment you said yes to Jesus? Some of us are waiting for that right now. Like, God, please, let's go. Got my bag packed. But you have a purpose. And God wants you to lay hold of everything for which he laid hold of you. Paul would go on to call it the high call, the upper call. It means there's more ahead of you than behind you. And Paul's such a great story because Paul was the greatest persecutor of the church. He was a, he was a terrorist. Threw Christians in prison, consented to the martyr of the very first Christian who was murdered for his faith, Stephen. And Paul experienced such a great transformation by Jesus that Paul later on in his life would say this, I know of nothing against myself. He says, I'm not justified by this. In other words, he's saying, I don't have anything on my conscience. I'm keeping short accounts with God. I don't have anything that's weighing on me. I don't, I'm not hiding skeletons in the closet. Can I just tell you, the most miserable people on planet earth are people who are bearing guilt, hiding it, trying to be something and put on a facade and try to do things on their own. It's exhausting. But when you can bring everything to the feet of Jesus, and find true and lasting freedom. You can, there, there's some things, you know, money cannot buy you a good sleep at night. Can't give you peace. All the, all the, all the likes on Facebook and, and all, all, the, all the accolades at work and all the things that, that people live their lives for now that are so temporary and so fleeting and think will fulfill. Listen, there's, Whatever is holding you back, you can bring it to Jesus. 
right here, right now. And you can start a relationship with Jesus. Religion doesn't save, religion doesn't change, but a relationship with Jesus changes everything. I'm gonna ask you to do this, if you'd stand to your feet. I wanna pray with you today. Jesus, when he said that this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, and the one that you sent. That, that word know, you know, in our culture, we've, we can have, as an example, I, I can be a business professor and never have run a business. So we've separated experience from the things we know in our culture. But, and tragically, religion does that too. We can know in our heads who Jesus is. We can sing the Christmas songs. Most of, most of America knows the story of Christmas. But lots of people don't know Jesus. Jesus said, I want, I want them to know, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And that word know is, it's a Greek word, gnosko. It means to know by experience. To know by experience. That's what, what it means to receive. So Simeon sees this Jesus, and he doesn't sit back. He doesn't let it pass by. No, he says, I want to I take hold of this. And today, maybe you need to take hold of Jesus for yourself. Take hold of the promise of God. Take hold of the purpose of God for your life, your family, your future. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.